Bob Stoops ruined my childhood. It's the Inside OU Podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. If you listen to this OU Compliance, I don't endorse that last message. With Brady Trantham and Keegan Renault. Mike Stoops should be put on trial for war crimes. And what's so up, everybody? I haven't everybody? said anything stupid yet. No, no, you haven't. Uh, we, actually, <laughs> we actually tried to do this legitimately. We got Zoom opened up, and we're like, okay, so since we joined last, there's been a lot, so how should we uh, structure this podcast? But yes, everybody, welcome to Inside OU. Uh, Brady Trantham here, 107.7 The Franchise. Franchise Thunder Insider, but I'm a little sooner fanboy, as you all tell, but the actual meat of this podcast is because Keegan Renault from USA Today, uh, Soonerswire.com is a part of it. And yeah, Keegan, we, we actually made the executive decision over the last few days to, um, well, let's wait because uh, until what Thursday or Wednesday last week, uh, we expected big 12 media day to take place yesterday on Monday and that got canceled and we don't really have to talk about it that much other than I kind of agreed with it just because up to that point, we haven't received any word, any structure of as to how the season's actually going to go with the big 12. So for Lincoln Riley, Tom Herman, Mike, or Mike Gundy, whoever else to be asked questions about stuff that they obviously aren't paid to answer, I thought would have been a little bit of a waste of time. And I would probably assume you, you probably weren't looking forward to asking Lincoln Riley questions that you knew he wasn't going to be able to answer. So that happened. And then we had some commitments. Ha- we had a commitment happen with OU. We had a uh, player locally commit elsewhere. We've talked about that a few podcasts already, so we weren't necessarily surprised by that announcement. But then since Sunday and Monday, we've had two key injuries uh, with OU. And now the Big 12 has finally released – it's uh, it's season structure. Oh yeah, and Lincoln Riley got a raise. <laughs> the uh, what what was it a week ago? So a lot mm-hmm. to cover today. Um, I guess let, let's start with uh, let's start with the big picture, and then we'll work our way down and work our way back in time. So uh, those that are now tuning in, don't worry. We're, we're going to talk about the Big Twelve first. So Keegan, uh, at all surprised, but I at the same time like. Even if you're surprised, I don't know how someone could be because the Big 12 is basically making a decision with the understanding of, okay, there's literally nothing else we can do because everybody else has made their decisions. So we actually have to just kind of pivot with what's left. And the ACC is doing the 10 plus one, but they're only doing non-conference games in state. So unless the Big 12 can go play ACC schools on the road, um, that won't happen. The SEC is not doing uh, non-conference games, and that's why OU Tennessee has been canceled. That's why Texas LSU has been canceled, unfortunately. And now, as we all know, back what seems like a month ago, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, they're not doing non-conference games. So the Big 12 was left with really the only decision that they could have done was do all your conference games and then try and find some non-conference games. And OU uh, Missouri State is still, as of this moment right now, still on the schedule when will it actually occur we don't know because it seems like the big 12 is going to be shooting for a middle to the end of september start date for their conference game so it's a little odd to think that at this point OU is going to play missouri state what was it on the 29th of august or the 30th of august and then wait four weeks until their next game 
First off, no surprise, right? This, this is the decision that they had to have made in order to kind of maintain where everybody else is doing in college football. So I'm not shocked by what the Big 12 chose to do. I, I think the biggest shocker of, of just any of this is the fact that the Missouri State game could get canceled and within one month we're going to have a game contract written up, signed, sealed, and delivered to someone else because we're not accustomed anymore to having a game be scheduled in this short amount of time. And we're basically have been told that those kind of things can't happen. So I, I, that doesn't surprise me um, the way the big 12 scheduling model is going to work depending on when the season starts. If they choose September 20 or September 19th or September 26th, I think those are the two dates. Oh, come on, Crash. Don't start barking. <laughs> Special don't, guest. Don't everybody start. Likes, everybody likes dogs. It's all good. But when it comes down to it, uh, I fully expect Oklahoma to be able to adjust on the fly here as much as possible. Time to go let the dogs out. Let's not let this be a consistent week. Yeah, if you don't like dogs in the background of podcasts, you probably are the type of person that would – oh, I don't know. You're probably the type of person that if you received – mysterious seeds in the mail you would go outside and plant them your first instinct would not be i didn't order these so i'm gonna throw them away or just kind of leave them here you would just go outside and plant them which would grow god knows what so um we're about to find out there's a uh, report this morning a guy in arkansas planted them uh, i'm surprised i'm really there. surprised it wasn't florida but arkansas is <laughs> close second but I, I do want to say, I hope the I, – I never have in my life considered, you know, like we're so accustomed to a 12-game regular season schedule yeah. uh, with a conference championship. And I just didn't realize we called them scheduled models. Yeah. It's like some official term that we have created in the last two months to just accompany COVID-19 and the pandemic. But – uh, I, you know, I, I think whenever you talk about just college football in general, this, just because they have a schedule, just because they've made their decision doesn't mean that we have been given the go for football yet. Yeah. Now, this is a positive step. Um, obviously, we're looking at some fan, potential fans in the stands, although there is some key things that are happening around the country that may point to that not happening. One, the state of Ohio who hasn't been hit nearly as hard as Oklahoma, I believe, um, from COVID-19 is not going to allow fans at sporting venues this upcoming season. And then the city of Norman, uh, Norman Public Schools, is, go is starting the year with virtual learning, um, distance learning, as well as I believe the Tulsa Public Schools and Jinx Public Schools um, have moved that direction as well. So, um, you know, using any context clues there, the way that fans are going to be allowed in the stands is if things are going well around the universities in which games are going to be played. And obviously that's not the case as it stands today on Tuesday, August 4th. So we'll see what comes with that. Have no word from Oklahoma in terms of capacity for the upcoming season. But I, I think – this is at least a positive step, though, Brady, that we are going to get football in some sort of fashion, and we'll see if we can get through it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a positive step, but like we've kind of talked about over the last, what, 
seems like a month and a half or so, Keegan, this was a decision that I expected two months ago. Because like you said, like this does not guarantee that first game, that the first game will be played. For all we know, some stuff could happen in the world. Some stuff can happen across the country. Some stuff can happen locally in Oklahoma that forces everybody's hand to go, yeah, we just can't do this. We cannot start. We cannot guarantee the health and safety of players. For instance, students coming on campus and then just ruining the perfection of OU's bubble that Lincoln Riley has been able to install over the last month. Um, this was a decision that I expected over a month ago because, yes, you need to have something to look forward to. You need to have a plan that this is going to happen if we get the green light for football. But that's just me complaining about this stupid conference and the NCAA because, I don't know, the NCAA can – they can get you in trouble for eating too much pasta. They can get you in trouble for, um, you know, maybe paying a player or something to come to your, come to your school – but in the event of a crisis, a pandemic, they're just like, no, everyone else do everything for yourself. So it just makes this whole operation look stupid. But um, here, here's my question for you, Keegan. And this is, of course, a best case scenario. And it's going to be so hard to project this. But knowing full well the Big Ten, the Pac-12, they're not doing non-conference games. The SEC is not doing non-conference games. The ACC adds Notre Dame, which helps the prestige or the look of that conference. Does it actually make them better than other conferences? I don't know. It just really depends on your opinion of Notre Dame football. Let's just say that college football is able to get through its entire season somehow, some way. OU goes undefeated or it's a typical OU season where they have that one inexplicable loss. In other seasons, they've always had the caveat of, well, they played Florida State. They played a Tennessee. They played, uh, they played, a name program and non-conference, a UCLA, that while they may not have been very good, it's still a name program. They still put themselves out there going on the road, playing a power five school. And that, of course, increases your margin for error if you do have a slip up in conference. But if that happens again, Keegan, and there are other one loss teams, undefeated teams in the power five, and we can somehow have a playoff, like there's a lot of what if scenarios in this. I mean, how does this, how do you think this affects OU's outlook and reputation for this season, considering that the Big 12 is what it is, and their only non-conference game is going to be against an FCS school in Missouri State. You know, I, I think those are things just for one single year are a little out of your control, and I think that's how Oklahoma would approach that. I, I don't I, – I still can't believe it's August 4th, like I said earlier, and – we don't have an idea if we're going to expand this playoff or not, as yeah. well as accompanying these schedules. Because you would feel like one would come with the other, that, you know, these board of governors are meeting um, this week, and I know there's only five of those 24 members represent the Power Five conferences, which is absolutely crazy, by the way. I did not realize it was that staggering that the Power Five doesn't have that much representation across the board with the NCAA. So whenever you talk about this upcoming season, Oklahoma, uh, I don't know, it brand probably doesn't hurt the brand, doesn't hurt any momentum they could build on the recruiting trail as long as they continue to show positive steps on the defensive side of the ball. But if it's coming down to a playoff, though, Brady, and your non-conference game is Missouri State opposed to an SEC team playing 10 
conference opponents. It's I mean perception's perception. Yeah, can't can't do anything about that, and uh, can't really have any qualms about this season if that's how it's going to go. But I fully expect if we do get a playoff, we will get it expanded to eight teams. That's the smartest. That's the best decision they can make, and for them to make the most money, and that obviously then Oklahoma can have its annual slip up, win the conference, and make the playoff. So that's that. We still got to get there. Still no decision um, from the Big 12 in terms of the conference models. It, it does sound like the, the other Brady that we may be getting rivalry games early. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I saw – I don't know where I actually saw – I saw it on Twitter. So who knows if this is verified or if this is from somebody to be trusted. But I saw some report as to uh, if that happens, OU Texas is still going to be played in October – at least in early Mm -hmm. October, probably at the same day that it's originally scheduled. Um, I mean, we've seen OU OSU and I know that that's to OU fans to a lot of OU fans. It's another game on the schedule. Um, But we've seen games like that be moved around from where it has been played historically. And it's still, it's still a fun game. Uh, OU Texas though, in late October, OU Texas, wherever it ends up being playing, whether it's at Jerry world, the cotton bowl, or if it's at a home and home thing. So I guess if that's the case in Norman this year, OU Texas in the cold would be very weird. It'd be, it'd it'd be this whole season's weird. So you might as well just do something and embrace it like that. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, you talk about getting a Texas team that has an experienced quarterback though, early in the season, with do they do have some pieces coming back on the defensive side of the ball? Their wide receiver room insert Bison Robinson. Oh, the other kid's name is escaping me right now. The big time recruit they got out of Quero, Texas, uh, Jordan Whittington. Um, you know, you Texas early if the OU gets Texas early in the season, that benefits Texas greatly. You'd have to think. Um, obviously, you have a lot of confidence in the potential that Spencer Rattler has and you have a lot of confidence in what Lincoln Riley can do offensively. But, you know, you even Bedlam. If you get Bedlam moved up early in the season, you've got Spencer Sanders returning. You've got all those guys returning. You've got the offensive line returning. Nine guys returning on defense. I mean, that does not set up ex, ex, well for Oklahoma at all. Not and at I thought all. Lincoln – I think Lincoln Riley's best coaching job since he's been here, OC or head coach, was last season – if they could pull it off this year and get some of those games tough early in the season, win the conference, um, I think that's just another step for Lincoln Riley that he has made. And, and then, like I said, I, that you get Texas at Oklahoma State early. Those are going to be some tough games to pick from, um, just in terms of who, what the outcome of that game is going to be. Although I, I like Oklahoma's chances, it just it's going to make it extremely, extremely difficult just given breaking in a new quarterback uh, against the two toughest teams on your schedule. Yeah, and that's what I actually wanted to get to because, you know, like, I have my opinions about the conference and especially the Big 12 over the last 10 or so years in terms of its consistency, its talent, what, how it affects OU's recruiting or just their on-the-field product. But what I have enjoyed, especially over the last 20 years, is just OU's scheduling model. There is something to be said about, yes, if you're playing UCLA last year, UCLA sucked, but you're going on the road and that's always going to be tough for a football team to go on the road, especially that far away and block out all the distractions. 
block out the understanding that UCLA sucks. So we could just pretty much cake like just coast and beat them by 40. Like it takes a lot to take care of business on the road, but I've always enjoyed OU scheduling format because there's always this, the steady improvement. Like, yes, there is usually one pitfall in the season, but if you're breaking in a new quarterback, it makes a lot of sense. You, you start off with FCS, get their feet wet, and then give them an exa- give them a situation where they can probably go back and watch and film where they screwed up. But to us, you know, to fans, it look it would probably look like oh they had a wonderful game. But Lincoln Riley's like no, you need to do this, this, and this. And then you go up against Tennessee, much more talented opponent, and you work on those flaws. And then you just get progressively better as the season wears along. So in a situation like this, Keegan, where you just get Missouri State. And then you go straight into conference play. And then if OSU or Texas are one of those first two conference games, there's no such thing as steady progression. Like we could potentially see like schools that we would have otherwise thought that's a playoff lock team because of scheduling being weird this year where they just, just lose like weird teams start beating better teams just because of where they play them on the schedule because they're more healthy than another team might be. So, um, this could be something where <laughs> the better teams in the power five conferences perhaps don't even win their conference just because everything is so odd and up in the air. Absolutely. I, you, you talk about just the season in general and how the makeup of each roster is built. It, I think that, you know, you usually hear a lot early in the season that talent out you know is way more important than anything else but right this upcoming season you know I guess I'm more referencing to the Ohio State year in 2016 you heard that quite a bit just about how Ohio State was going to come in and outclass Oklahoma just in terms of talent despite them replacing guys on defense and on offense so uh, you know that aspect of it I think is kind of thrown out the window you only get one game in preparation and this is kind of goes into my point I don't want to go off on a tangent here but if we could cancel games Missouri State said they yes they want the money but they're not going to be looking for a payday if it gets canceled why not go schedule a say UCF bring them in and play what I know the pay-per-view, I know the financial side of this, but you want to get your team as prepared as possible for conference play and the sprint um, that conference play is going to be, then why, why not try to schedule someone else that's going to prepare you um, and your team for that? And I know the financial repercussions of missing that Missouri State game for pay-per-view, but, um, you know, getting a quality opponent like SMU had their game against TCU was canceled. SMU is going to be good this year. Um, UCF's good those two probably have the financial means to be able to have the testing capacity in order for that game to be played and Oklahoma not have to worry about it too much so I I agree with you completely that I I think that we Oklahoma you know you get Missouri State like does Spencer Rattler play all four quarters do they put up 100 do they put up 100 I think he kind of has to just from getting his feet wet standpoint. Now we'll get to this in a little bit. Chandler Morris is probably pretty excited. I mean, obviously he doesn't want to see his brother Tanner Mordecai get hurt, but I mean, in the event that OU's up 42 to nothing in the third quarter or whatever, like, Ooh, I get to play some, I get to play with the second stringers this time instead of the third stringers. But um, I, I wonder, cause 
I don't here. I, I don't know exactly how this is going to be like really run. Like can OU in theory, they have Missouri state on the schedule, but they're an FCS school. Can they like, they have to operate under the, under the understanding that they're going to have a complete season. Cause otherwise, what are we doing here as a like from Joe C to Lincoln rather, they have to operate under the guise of we'll have game one, we'll finish out the season and then potentially have a playoff. Could they in theory have Missouri state on the schedule who is an FCS school? I don't know how the, how the power five is going to view that on the schedule. Could they in theory have Missouri state and then add a UCF? even though it's nine plus one, but can that plus one, do they, are they going to count Missouri state? Cause you know, like, I mean, what was it? The playoff committee doesn't view wins over FCS schools as like, they don't see them as counting. Like wasn't that a thing or am I completely making that up? It, I think the outcome, like if it's a loss, like if you lose. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, it that's hard to you. not yeah that's hard yeah. to not see but if you but if you win i don't think like the you know yards per play stats that go into their quantif the way they quantify their statistics and model in order to get the best team possible i don't think the stats from that game get taken into account yeah but don't quote me on that i'm not 100% sure i like, so if OU could get away with adding another team like a UCF or somebody from the Sun Belt, just somebody, if they could get away with it, it would help their playoff chances if they were able to go through their season undefeated or just with one loss because simply their one non-conference game is not an FCS opponent, but it also helps that upward trajectory of development with each individual player that we kind of talked about earlier. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think it's very important when we figure out what decision the Big 12 is going to make, right? If they choose to start the Big 12 conference play on September 19th, and you're, you know, you need Oklahoma wants to get a bye weekend before conference play starts, then Missouri State's immediately off the schedule because they have a scheduled game for September 5th. So, and I'm sure they could also work um, with their schedule in order to get that payday from Oklahoma if needed. So it's, that's very fluid. Um, I haven't heard anything the last two days in regards to anything. Um, the last, you know, it was a month ago, month and a half ago, that where we heard that there wasn't confidence from the Oklahoma side of things that a fall season was going to happen. I wonder if that's changed at all. Uh, but um, I think I want to reiterate again that just because we have these models and we have the schedules for these conferences, that doesn't mean we've been given a go for football season yet. And yeah. that's uh, going to be a hard balance um, to try and cover the team and cover college football just for the next couple of weeks until we finally get a go, get the go ahead that we are going to play that first game of the season and see how this goes. So, and then on Thursday, or it may be today, I believe it may, it's either today or Thursday, the NCAA board of governors is meeting again. And I know there's a lot of momentum to canceling fall championships and that would have for other sports. So, and that's going to have a lot of impacts um, on the decision about college football for the fall. So yep. they have these models. I think these models are doable to be able to move the season to the spring if needed. This is the exact model that you would have to use 
um, in order for that to happen. So it, um, I wouldn't be, it's not like it would be a big deal to go ahead and, um, you know, move it from the fall to the spring. Uh, we're already seeing, you know, Rashad Bateman, the big time wide receiver from Minnesota, um, my, one of my man crushes for the upcoming 2020 season. Uh, he opted out of the season already. And I believe Caleb Farley, one of the top DBs for the upcoming draft has also opted out. So um, I don't know if this is a segue to what, if there's anything we want to talk about with that, but uh, you know, I, I hope that that remains low. It should be, it should just be, you know, potential first round picks probably sit out. So that's going to be, you know, 30 to 40 to 50 guys and that's it. But yeah. um, you know, you got to make sure this people are going to watch. That's for sure. People are going to watch football. People are going to watch college football, but um, the product, um, how it looks, the fact that Oklahoma is only going to get one game of preparation before a conference season um, is kind of worrisome with all the question marks on offense and defense that they still have. Um, we're not going to learn um, much about Oklahoma, and you typically don't until that Texas game and then after. So yeah. um, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be an interesting fall, that's for sure. We don't have a decision yet on if we're going to play football, and I'm uh, intrigued to see what the Big 12s schedule is going to be and it sounds like we may be getting that today or tomorrow despite the big 12 saying that it's going to be in the coming weeks those liars um we oh, will hell, uh, they waited until like nine o'clock last night to release their statement on like okay this is what we're going to do yeah and we were trying to record a pot that was so ridiculous yeah <laughs> that was yeah, so ridiculous. let's wait for the big 12 that's uh that should be the next podcast name let's wait for the big 12 because that podcast would never be released but um yeah, let's actually get into um, what you were just talking about a little bit earlier uh, in terms of players opting out. Uh, we're seeing it a lot in the NFL. Um, we're potentially seeing players opt out in mass in the Pac-12. And Keegan, I just want to get your thoughts on that because the players from the Pac-12, and I think a lot of them were, were from Washington State, correct? Were the mm -hmm. vast majority of these players from Washington State? Yeah. No, it was – it was amongst – it's amongst the conference. It's like over 400 student-athletes okay. the conference. They made their demands public. Now, like we've said a, a few times here and there on this podcast, I think COVID-19 and the pandemic are probably going to speed up college football to adapt, to evolve into a new look that would have probably taken 10 to 15 years of natural slow progression – it's going to speed it up to make it, you know, anywhere from two to five years. It, it's whatever it was supposed to be, it's going to be it much sooner. And I think a lot of this language that you're seeing out of players from the Pac-12, especially when you remember, what was it, three or four years ago, Northwestern players tried to unionize, or it wasn't that long ago. It might have been two seasons ago. And that, of course, uh, didn't really go well for them. But, uh, Keegan, this is something that's coming it's interesting that the Pac-12 is doing this because when you compare, when you think of the Power Five, Pac-12 has been the most financial, least successful of the Power Five. They've also been, in my opinion, the least successful on the field. Um, the Pac-12, the West Coast, in terms of football culture, just isn't the same as the Southern conferences, like the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC. And then, of course, the Big 10, which has a strong football culture it makes a lot of sense that the Pac-12 would be the one to do this but I, I'm just curious what you think about all of it and how 
Like, is there going, do you think, do you see anything coming from this at all? Or is this just kind of posturing at this point? Oh, I think something will absolutely come from this. Uh, I don't know, obviously, a lot of those demands were extreme, but if that is a negotiation tactic, it's a smart one. Uh, the, obviously, not everything that they were asking for is going to be accepted and reprimanded for the Pac-12 and the NCAA across the board. But I, I think it is interesting, right? The, the fact that these student-athletes over the last, especially college football players over the last four months, realized that they kind of do hold the cards to this deal and that they – the, their power amongst the amongst the NCAA has kind of been undersold for a long, long time. They're realizing what they have, and they're kind of using it. Now, every action has a reaction, right? You can't get mad um, if you're a student athlete like at Washington State to where, okay, you opt out of the season, you can't be around the team, okay, I'm going to go cry about it. Well, no, you can't really complain about it whenever you're opting out of a season and you can't be around the team that that part of it is going to get squashed by everybody um in general though i i will always stand with the players um until they kind of give me a reason until they give me a reason not to that's that's kind of my stance on just on football but life in general and we'll see what comes from this um i did think it was funny that you know, everybody was freaking out on Sunday whenever Penai uh, Sewell, the offensive lineman from Oregon, <laughs> he, he made the comment about it and everybody was like, oh, this is so powerful, the fact that he's the one that came out and did it. He's, he came out and said it. Well, he could boycott this season regardless and be a top five pick next year anyways. Yeah. So um, I thought there was a – the humor to that was high for me. So we'll see kind of what comes from this Pac-12, the, the United, the Pac-12 United movement. Um, I don't foresee it being that drastic of a change, maybe just some more security measures in terms of COVID-19 and insurance. Because what people don't know is uh, some of the top college football players in the country do get insurance policies in case they get hurt. Like they have that Sam right. Bradford. They ha- Sam Bradford had one. They have that right. They have that power to, to get that. And so I, I think maybe you see it move maybe more in that direction. Um, but I still think the best idea, if these student athletes and college football players want to get paid in, in some regard, I think the best idea is, is a pension idea to whether you get your degree or whenever you're done, um, you fulfill the requirements of being a student athlete. Okay, here's your money. You did what we asked you to do. You brought in a ton of revenue for the sport. Um, here's, thank you for your service. Here's your money, um, and, and do whatever you please with it. So, uh, we'll see kind of what decision comes from this. I don't think it's the end of the NCAA. Like a lot of people have speculated. Um, I think the NCAA will adjust and move on its feet. Um, not swiftly. They clearly haven't, they clearly haven't done that. At a snail's pace. Yes. Exactly. And, uh, we'll see kind of what, they, what comes from this, but, you know, it's, it's always a good thing whenever people that don't realize that the position that they're in has holds a lot of power and that they can kind of fight back against what the, the common notion and the common belief is. And uh, unfortunately for a lot of people, they, they don't understand that these, 
you know, these college football players are human beings. They have emotions, they have feelings, um, and they have kind of a right to voice that. And we'll see uh, if the reaction, you know, whenever the Pac-12 kind of counters back at it, we'll see what the reaction is going to be. Um, I don't foresee it being good, but um, that's social media in our world in 2020. And we'll see if the student athletes can stick up for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, also, if it's just something as simple as that they're afraid for themselves or their friends or family, it's like, like you said, they're human beings. Like they're extremely, extremely tough. They're football players at a high level D1 power five football players. But this is something that none of us really can control at all. We can mitigate it as much as we can try to. And there are positives to trying to mitigate it as much as possible. But playing football with being surrounded by hundreds of people at all times in weight rooms and locker rooms and meeting rooms. And I know they're doing the best they can, at least as it pertains to OU, they're doing the best that they can to separate players as much as possible. Well, once the games are actually played, Keegan, there's no separating it. There's, there's, there's little, little to nothing that you can do. So if they're just simply opting out out of concern or fear, like I'm, I'm not going to be at all upset. Now, as it pertains to OU, some other things that we've seen over the last few years with college football that have become more commonplace are when, you know, for sure, first round picks get into bowl games and the bowl games happen to be not playoff games or not New Year's six bowls. We've seen players just basically opt out of the bowl game to prepare for the draft and to guarantee that they don't tear an ACL and ruin their draft stock um, over the next few, over the following months. We haven't seen that happen with OU. We, I, I don't believe we've seen a player opt out of a bowl game, at least publicly, where they're like, yeah, I'm out. Like, we saw Joe Mixon play in the Sugar Bowl, and then he, of course, declared for the draft and got drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. But at this point, I, I'm going to assume that no player is going to opt out of the fall season. If things change, that will, of course, change my opinion. But at the same time, Keegan, if somebody like Cree Humphrey just decides, yeah, I – I don't like where this is going. I'm just going to go ahead and pack it up and guarantee my health and safety for the draft uh, next April. But I mean, it, would this be something that would surprise you if an OU player did, if the season stays in the fall? And then of course, I mean, how do you think the fan base is going to take Because, Like I said, OU's been able to avoid this since players have kind of made opting out of bowl games a little bit popular over the last few seasons. Luckily for Oklahoma, right, that they only have really one guy to worry about. And it may be the, one of the most important players for the season in Creed Humphrey. Now, you say, a, you say that, but for all we know, Charleston Rambo could think that he's a for sure first round or second round pick. It really comes down to how these players view themselves. Right. I don't think Charleston Rambo – does I don't think anybody else on this roster? Uh, I'm not trying to pick on him. I'm just I just thought of some draft eligible player basically. He, absolutely. Um, I think everybody besides Creed has to put a good year of tape together. I mean, Ronnie Perkins right now is probably a late third round, fourth round, um, probably draft guy based off this suspension, and I think he's got a couple things to work on. Um, but Creed Humphrey is really the only one. This isn't a conversation that's going to relate a lot with Oklahoma. Because, one, they're so young, and, two, the guys that are draft ed eligible need a good year of tape to put on together. I mean, look at Adrian Ely's probably and Marquise Hayes. 
and I think Marquis Hayes is going to end up being a second round pick when it's all said and done. But those are two guys that need this year to put on good tape. Um, Ronnie Perkins is another one, and or and Charleston Rambo as well, in order to rise and kind of confirm where they truly are at um, amongst this next draft class and the upcoming draft class. So um, I don't think it's a conversation that's going to relate a lot with Oklahoma, but. When, you know, when it's all said and done, like you said, there, there could be guys that view themselves a lot higher than what the NFL does, and they're going to bet on themselves. And that's the uh, phrase and the name of the game in, in yeah. college football. And, we'll, <laughs> and, and I think we're going to – I don't think it's going to be Oklahoma that's going to get hit hard by it. It's going to be a lot of other schools. And um, obviously we saw with Minnesota losing their best player. I mean, Rashad Bateman would – receive for over 2,000 yards in Oklahoma's offense. Yeah. He is that freaking good. So, um, with all that being said, I, you know, the Peni Sewells of the world, um, the Trevor Lawrences, the Justin Fields of the world, um, you know, those are the guys that are going to be right in the thick of this, right in the crosshairs of opting out for a season. Um, and I don't foresee it impacting Oklahoma quite that much. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up Ronnie Perkins because before we get to the other big OU news that happened um, over the last few days, uh, the Caleb Kelly injury, the uh, Tanner Mordecai injury, um, I do wonder what a 10-game season does for Ronnie Perkins's five-game suspension that he was supposed to serve in a regular season going forward. I wonder if that gets prorated. I have seen some sentiment that OU may or may, may believe that that suspension might be dropped, not necessarily because – or dropped in terms of the amount of games, uh, not necessarily because the season has been shortened to 10 games, essentially, but because whatever, however they appealed might have worked to the NCAA. But um, is that something you thought of, Keegan? Just like when this – you know, when this schedule gets released last night or the, the format, I mean, it, it could be good for OU's chances of getting Ronnie Perkins back into the fold much sooner. And if they're going to play OSU in Texas early on, um, they need him back as soon as possible, considering all the question marks on defense. They're, the language in which they use is going to be very interesting, right? The yeah. NCAA – it was an NCAA drug test, correct, that they failed. However, the game in which that they had already sat out was not an NCAA-mandated game. It was a college football playoff game. Oh, God. So, <laughs> I'm just bringing that up because if the NCAA still wants to hold to their, um, you know, the 50% of a season, then they these guys haven't played an NCAA game yet. So, and so, OU, that, so OU sitting Ronnie Perkins and all those other – and Trajan Bridges sitting them in the bowl game is them basically complying with the NCAA and trying to get on their good side in the event that they would win – or lose an appeal, correct? Correct. Uh, that's how I would interpret it. However, I I do think, you know, that that does have an impact, that they would, probably would have been ruled ineligible to play in that game based off the playoff standards. I'm assuming it's the same as the NCAAs. But whenever it comes down to the language of the rule, it's 50% of a season. And yeah. if you count – the LSU game, that's one game on a 14-game season, right? I mean, yeah. math here is extremely important, and I, it's, it's going to be weird because it, it, they could if, it's, if they count that one game, 
then they sit out five games or four games of a 10-game season. They'd have to sit out five games to get to the 50%. They've already sat out one. Does that mean they have to sit out four games? Does that mean they have to sit out five games? Or does it count with a 14-game season because that's when the suspensions occurred or 12 or 13 and they have to sit out six? Yeah. I, think it's four, I think it's four, five, or six that these guys are – Going to have to sit out, uh, Ronnie Perkins, Trevor Bridges, and Ramon J. Stevenson, which, by the way, Ramon J. Stevenson got hit by the uh, quarantine diet pretty hard. I don't know if you saw the update. He was on my short list for potential players to be hit by this, by the way. I mean, (laughs) he's a big guy anyway, and that's probably why he was so damn good uh, last year. I mean, that just adds to his talent and his ability because he's also incredibly fast and twitchy. But, yeah, this didn't surprise me. No, uh, which, by the way, for Monte Stevenson, if that's actually good weight he put on and he's at 200 and – come on, internet. <laughs> if he is truly at six foot – oh, they haven't updated this. It says six foot 229. I thought it was over 240 pounds yesterday whenever I looked at it. God, that, is ins- that would be a large human being. I would not want to tackle that. Four four speed, four five speed. Yikes! No. He on the updated roster, six foot, two hundred and forty six pounds, <laughs> and he runs probably a four four eight, four four nine. Yeah, he's incredibly fast in the open field, and he can make cuts. I mean, this is this is Marcus Dupree size without the height. Exactly. Yeah, he is a <laughs> he is a large human being. And I um, I, I love Ramondre Stevenson last year. I this is I guess this will be kind of hot take ish, but if he's healthy, if Trey Sermon's healthy, if uh, Kennedy Brooks is healthy last season, I thought Ramondre Stevenson was the best all around running back. And this was a guy that you could put out. This is a guy you could put out wide, and he can catch passes. He caught a gigantic third down conversion in Stillwater against Oklahoma State, albeit all he did was run straight, and Oklahoma State was just like, they're not going to throw it to him on the far side of the field. And guess what? Jalen Hurts threw it to him on the far side of the field. But he can do pretty much anything Lincoln Riley asked him to. So he's a guy that I really want back into the fold as soon as possible. But 240 pounds. Oh, my. Yeah. He, uh, he was listed at six foot 229 in the spring. So he's put on 17 pounds. Uh <laughs> In a short amount of time. <laughs> hey, so the quarantine fifteen is real, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh no, you know, you talk about the suspensions and that's part of this too. I mean, you get Oklahoma State and Texas early in the schedule, Brady, you're not playing those games with a Ronnie Perkins. And I think Ronnie Perkins and Perry on Winfrey and, and the defensive front and the way they were able to disrupt everybody last year made life a lot easier on the defensive backs. And I know they still had their problems and their struggles, but you get a guy like Ronnie Perkins back for a game like Texas, that's, that's huge. Yeah. No, Ronnie Perkins would have helped against LSU because at one point in that game, OU was a third down stop away from getting the ball back and potentially taking the lead. Neville Gallimore is getting triple teamed, all right? Neville Gallimore is getting triple teamed. Kenneth Murray is running all over the field. Then, unfortunately, right before he sacked uh, Joe Burrow, he, like, pulled – he pulled a hamstring, but he came back onto the into the game, I think, at some point. So, he didn't get hurt that bad. But, 
Uh, I have a hot Ronnie take Ber- about that, but Ronnie Perkins, Ronnie Perkins would have helped. He wouldn't have helped OU win the game, but he would have helped. <laughs> He's that good. Um, he mm-hmm. makes Jalen Redmond much better. Jalen Redmond as a as basically Ronnie Perkins's replacement was a resounding failure. But that's not his position. That's not his talent base. But um, Keegan, there's still people out there that are telling us that these dogs. God, who let those dogs out? But uh, this won't be a long-term deal. We, we can do this in person um, from, from any time out. But, uh, no, you talk about, you know, you know, we're talking about Ronnie Perkins and these guys and the suspensions and the LSU game. But, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, we've said before, and it's good to see, um, one, when the hell did Paul Feinbaum become the voice of college football? Why is he the guy that's always on TV now? This is me about to go on a rant. Well, because, I mean, that's just kind of probably more than half of the biz, Keegan. If you just – if you have pull, you can get any job you want, and Paul Feinbaum has pull. I'll give him credit. Like, he understands the game. He understands the history of the game. Um, He's been around it a long time, so I respect his opinion in that matter. But um, he's mainly just kind of a shock jock at this point. And it's not necessarily because he says silly things or he, he says hot take stuff like a Stephen A. Smith on first take, but it's mainly just the audience that he pulls from that says all the silly hot take stuff. And he's just kind of the uh, lightning rod for it. He brings He brings about a gigantic audience for better, or for worse. It's really that simple. Like he's sitting here talking about the big 12. Like what does he know about the big 12? Oh, okay. I'd rather have Mac Ingle be on there talking about the Big 12. Let's not talk about the Pat, or let's not talk about Paul Feinbaum because I really don't want to have to edit this podcast that much because it's already late. I don't want to say F words and S words and D words. (laughs) So let's move from Paul Feinbaum to the other big news that came out of the last 24 hours, Keegan. That is, of course, the injuries to Caleb Kelly and Tanner Mordecai. Uh, Tanner Mordecai has an undisclosed injury, but apparently he's going to be missing some time. We don't know how much. Uh, Caleb Kelly tore his ACL. Uh, Really quick, I feel bad for Caleb Kelly, of course. I feel terrible for the human being, Caleb Kelly. But as it just pertains to football, Keegan, and this is a football podcast, I don't know Caleb Kelly personally. Um, I sympathize, empathize with him. I didn't expect that much out of Caleb Kelly this year, mainly because this is just what he is. He's either hurt or when he's on the field, it's a whole bunch of people telling me, well, he's playing out of position or, well, it's Mike Stoops' fault. Basically, the results just haven't been there. The the player we saw in the Sugar Bowl against Auburn, phenomenal. I thought he was going to be OU's next great defensive player. That became Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly – had those two things happen to him, whether it be Mike Stoops putting him out of position or just Mike Stoops' coaching overall, he has not been able to become the player that we thought he was going to become coming out of high school, out of the Sugar Bowl. So I, I feel terrible for the injury and how it affects him, his mental health, uh, his future in terms of football. I feel bad for that, but as an OU fan projecting the season coming about, I didn't expect that much out of Caleb Kelly. He, he – adds depth yes but outside of that I wasn't expecting all conference level performances here before uh we get 
a friend of the podcast and friend of us, Mad, credit Soonerscoop.com for reporting that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you talk about Caleb Kelly and his impact on the season. I didn't think the linebacking – I thought the best two linebackers for the upcoming season that gave Oklahoma the highest ceiling defensively was Brian Asamoa and Deshaun White. Agreed. And I thought Caleb Kelly would have been a great rotational player to throw in to get guys a rest. Um, probably would have been where position in position where he needed to be when he needed to be there and be able to make the play. Agreed. So that part of it, uh, you know, that doesn't hurt. Where it does hurt, though, is like you said, the depth. Behind Caleb Kelly, there is only one linebacker on this roster that has experience, and he even struggled when he came in when he needed to against LSU last year. Um, so not taking anything away from Brian Mean. He can do a hell of a lot more on a football field than I ever could. But you talk about losing Caleb Kelly, then that means a Jamal Morris, that means a Robert Barnes, or that means a true freshman Shane Witter without having any spring or summer to get work in is going to have to step up. Yeah. And that, is, that should be a major concern to everybody. I think I'm not going to say I'm the only one, but I've been harping on this, that the depth at linebacker is absolutely troublesome for Oklahoma. And I've been saying it all offseason – I don't get why they're only bringing in, you know, one or two inside linebackers for this upcoming season. I thought the two or three number was probably best as it stands right now. They only have one. Um, that, that I don't understand it. I don't understand the numbers. But, you know, coming back to Oklahoma in 2020 and Caleb Kelly, um, the void now at linebacker is real. I mean, it, it, it is past time for Oklahoma to be throwing a former walk-on out there at linebacker. This isn't the first time. They did it with Caleb Gastelum in 2014. Yeah, this is um, old. Now, this is like the Bob Stoop special. Then <laughs> Brandon Crow in 2008, although I don't know if he was a walk-on, but he, he certainly played like one. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, look, I would imagine it's probably really hard to um, – to cover Jordan Shipley in the slot as a linebacker. Um, but Brandon Crow never played again. Nick Harris played middle linebacker the next game. And then eventually Mike Balligan played. So this has been old hat for OU's defenses. Like, for whatever reason, they cannot find depth in the short term. It has to be over the long term. And in so doing, games are lost. Defense, defensive numbers go all the way down, and it paints a bad picture of your team overall. So – um, yeah, the depth getting hurt, that, that is, of course, bad. And like you said, I could depend on Caleb Kelly to come in here and spell the starter and not be out of position and potentially be able to make a play because when he's able to use his athleticism, Keegan, he's incredibly talented. But for whatever reason, he's just not been able to put it together. And mm -hmm. that's commonplace in college football. You get highly recruited guys that, you know, for one reason or the other, they're just not able to put it all together on the field. I mean, Caleb Kelly is a wonderful person. He's a great kid, uh, volunteers in the community, is uh, active in that regard. So I, I feel terrible for that. But just in terms of what was I expecting out of OU's defense, Caleb Kelly was not high on that list. No, he wasn't. I don't think the impact that he brought to the game uh, was more than anybody else at that position. Um, and kind of some of the along the same lines, like you said, um, it kind of goes back to the Mike Stoops thing, right? I mean, you talk about his fit in a defense. 
it's as a 3-4 outside linebacker. The 3-4 um, will, the guy who's playing more in space, that can blitz off the edge, that can rush off the edge. Um, and Oklahoma went away from that. And that sort of was kind of the detriment to Caleb Kelly's career. They tried to get, continue to get more multiple in 2017 and 2018. And um, he actually played a position in 2018 that I was extremely uh, fond of him playing, which is that kind of nickelback playing in space, being a bigger guy that can set the edge, that can be a backside run defender. Um, so, uh, no, and I hate it for him, though. Like you, you said before, he, he is a really, really good person. He's an awesome kid to deal with. Now I'm saying kid for a guy my age is probably not the best way um, to put it. Uh, but, you know, that he does everything right. And it, it hurts to see a guy that does – that works so hard and does everything right and to see his kind of career – um, turn up the way he does but his biggest impact was never going to be in football it was going to be in something else something away from the football field in life that's what's most important but you know I the depth issue now at linebacker is real and it's a conversation that we're probably going to be having week in and week out yes and the uh, other injury Keegan Tanner Mordecai I guess that he was now- in the thick of it yeah, he was in the thick of it, but now I guess Chandler Morris and Spencer Rattler are going to be involved in a very heated and very highly contested quarterback competition. You know, I or Patrick actually Schaefer. don't – Excuse me, I, Patrick Schaefer. Tanner, Tanner Schaefer. Tanner Schaefer, yes. I actually think he may be the backup quarterback until Mordecai's back. He certainly – does he have the higher ceiling? No, not at all. I think you know where I stand on the Chandler Morris deal. Um, I think the world of him. I think that his timing with receivers at the high school level was um, unlike any other quarterback in his class. Uh, you know, you even got Bryce Young and DJ Uagalele to throw in there. Yeah. Um, he obviously didn't have the, the athletic acumen of those two, nor does he have the size of the other two. He's 5'11", and that's probably very generous. He's listed at 5'11 on Oklahoma's roster. So, um, I think the world of him, I think if he, given the opportunity, he would excel at the starting quarterback position at Oklahoma. I don't uh, – but Tanner Schaefer's got five years in the system. He – Tanner Mordecai? Ta- Tanner Schaefer. I'm just talking Tanner. about being the backup with while Mordecai's gone. Okay. Um, he's got five years in the system. Um, Lincoln Riley trusts him, obviously, a lot. He's got a, head, he's got a headset on on the sidelines. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, that he's going to be the back of quarterback. He can kind of step up into that position. But kind of circling back to Tanner Mordecai, just in general, I think this is a guy that is a quality quarterback. Um, I think Oak Lincoln would be able to put a system around him that would be successful. He would put up numbers. Um, but this didn't – this isn't going to change what the final result was going to be anyways. So – um, you know, Mordecai probably was going to lose this job and then transfer out after the season. And we'll see um, maybe if that even speeds up the process during this pandemic age that we live in. You know, I could definitely see Tanner Mordecai just saying, all right, well, um, I, you know, I, I lost my, I lost the job. I'm hurt. Um, I'm going to go somewhere else to start train rehab and get ready um, for what, whatever school I go to next. Yeah. No, again, this is uh, – it's really weird because OU has had, over the last 20 years, they've had some big-time uh, fall camp injuries that have altered the 
incoming season, and they were big-time injuries that we knew at the time, this is bad. Um, I, I guess everybody would go back to the 2009 fall camp when uh, Jermaine Gresham got hurt, everybody got upset, and then that was also Tom Wart's true freshman year when everybody was really excited for Tom Wart, and he tore his ACL too. And that, of course, bled into the BYU game when Sam Bradford got hurt and then eventually was out for the year. So um, having said that, when I see this news, as a fan, Keegan, I'm just like, I don't think the season's going to be able to be finished anyway. So I don't – I, again, like I, I'm sad for the players. I don't want players to get hurt by any means. But as it pertains to football, I'm just like, eh, they're not going to be able to finish the season anyway, so who cares? This isn't breaking news of any part, but this is very Brady Trantham-centric. There is a quote from an SI story that went up today on Lincoln Riley from Bob Stoops. He made the next step of the evolution of our program. It's also fair to say he elevated it. Yep. Yep. Uh, Shouldn't have been that way, but uh, because (laughs) Bob Stoops is a very talented head coach. Um, he was a very talented recruiter, and he was a very talented motivator. He was. But not in 2015. Not in 2016. <laughs> uh, I was Lincoln, waiting for the shoe to drop. Lincoln Riley is uh, – I mean, he's – you can compare him to early Bob Stoops. We'll see if uh, Lincoln loses the fire. And that is a quote from Bob, not an opinion of my own. So if you want to hate me because if you want to hate me because I have a more more than common negative opinion of Bob Stoops over the last decade of his coaching career, so be it. But just read his book and go to the national chi- championship chapter and read the last paragraph. And then remember that he coached for another 16 years. When you read that last paragraph, thank you. So. Um... Two, in the same vein, in the same conversation, I think I could segue into what I believe what was next um, for us to talk about on this podcast. Lincoln Riley is going to be a top five paid head coach in college football, Brady Trantham. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, yeah, at this point, it feels like that was like a month ago when that news broke last week. But, um, and it also just kind of broke randomly. Like I'd seen it retweeted. Um, with little to no fanfare, little to no hype that it had actually happened. And I'm just like, did we already know this? This happened in February. Did I already know this? And I just forgot because since February, the world has ended and it just kind of went in the back burner of my brain. But um, I mean, well-deserved and OU's doing what they can in order to cover all their bases to keep their head coach because um, he's always going to be a hot name in terms of NFL coaching rumors, he's always going to be a hot name for any big time coaching job that becomes open. And a factor that I've always kind of thought of Keegan, if Arizona, Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury continue their upward trajectory, a lot of that credit is going to go to the players. A lot of that credit is going to go to Kyler Murray, but a lot of that credit is also going to go to Cliff Kingsbury. And if Cliff Kingsbury is getting praised for being able to win and coach well in the NFL, there's always going to there might always be that itch that burn for Lincoln Riley, and if he's able to go on to this, you know, like we've said, Keegan, OU, their first real chance to win a national championship against teams like Clemson and Alabama is going to be next season. How this season will affect that, we don't know, but in terms of the talent and where it's trending, it's going to be next year. 
But if Lincoln Riley wins a national title in the next three, three years and Cliff Kingsbury is still succeeding in the NFL, there's always going to be that itch for him, I, I believe. I would imagine he's a competitor. But OU is doing all that they can to make sure that they entice him to stay. And so that, for me, that's really good to see. Absolutely. And, and I want to, you know, talk about the, you know, the potential pay here. He, you know, this upcoming season, he agreed to a pay cut. So his, his extension and pay raise won't kick in until 2021. Yeah. But whenever you talk about the, the entirety of the contract, he is going to make an average of $7.535 million annually. That puts him right in the top five. And with that being with that happening, and I know it's not something because Lincoln's kind of been the golden child at Oklahoma, and I'm not saying that in a negative light of and by any means he should be. The success he's had offensively, the ability that, that they had to play defense in 2019 um, was extremely positive. But with that kind of pay come expectations. It's winning, making it to the playoffs and losing that game is no longer um, in the realm of excuses anymore for Oklahoma. In my opinion, whenever you pay a guy that much money and now you're paying def- your defensive coordinator $1.8 million, yeah. that, comes with, that comes with expectations. And those yeah. expectations are going to have to come quick. Yeah, well, I mean, expectations aren't static. I mean, they, they alter, they adapt from year to year. And when you have the understanding that the defense is going to have an uphill battle because of X, Y, and Z reasons, and some of those reasons transcend Lincoln Riley, they're, they're problems that he inherited just by virtue of coaching, coming to coach at OU as an offensive coordinator, and then becoming the head coach. Um, I think he's shown the ability to identify talent. I think he's shown the ability to identify coaching talent and then hire that coaching talent. Odom and Grinch thus far have been resounding successes. Who knows how that will age because we've seen guys have one good year. And then as their careers go along, it becomes a little bit of a different story. You're able to look at the bigger picture and see how they're actually, um, how their career actually was able to go. But I think at this point, Lincoln Riley has deserved that contract extension. He's deserved um, the expectations, but I mean, outside of the Rose Bowl, Keegan, and we've already talked about that game, but outside of that Rose Bowl, I've never expected, I didn't expect OU to beat Alabama. I didn't expect OU to beat LSU. Now, I guess I didn't really expect them to get run in the first quarter against Alabama or get run in the game against LSU. But the results really don't – like, OU could have lost by one touchdown in either of those games, and the result is OU lost a playoff game. No one would care. The fact that they just get run just kind of, I guess, adds to the negative rep. But um, at the end of the day, I just care about results. So everything thus far has been par for the course, maybe a little bit better than par for the course with Lincoln Riley just because of the resounding success the offense has had and the consistency that it's had. Because even Bob Stoops earlier on in his career, when he was breaking in new quarterbacks, there was always kind of like a, you got to start over from square one. But as we've seen with Lincoln Riley, Keegan, um, it's just, it just continues. Just great success. They're going to New York for the Heisman ceremony. Um, So Lincoln Riley is very deserving. But yeah, I mean, the expectations are going to be there. But until it becomes a more even playing field, in terms of the defense, I'm not going to expect them to beat Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State in a playoff game. I'm going to expect them to win the Big 12 
and get there, it's the defense just has to get better, and that's only going to get better over time, not overnight. Absolutely. Um, but along those same lines, though, Alex Grinch is now making $1.8 million. Yes, and that was the other important thing was that the assistants got two-year extensions instead of just the one year that they typically do. Grinch is, is different, though. I believe his is through three. Okay. So, so again, that's, he, that's incredible. They're, gonna have, they're going to have um, you know, part – of that issue, though, that fans now, and I think they should, desert, they should demand it, that there needs to be instant gratification to that. And I know there's a lot of question marks on this upcoming defense in 2020. I know recruiting for them um, in their eyes is going really well. So, but at the same time, too, you know, this defense drops from where they were at a year ago by any means, then I think everybody kind of has a right to be upset. And um, that – kind of comes with it. It's different times from when I first started covering Oklahoma football. It was like, okay, go score as many points as he possibly can um, because your defense can't get off the field and we're going to be accepted to that. Now it's, okay, you guys better get a turnover game. Yeah. You guys better hold you, – you better hold this team under 30 points. Uh, you better do this. You better do that instead of letting a Kansas State game happen. And all the credit still – and you know where I stand on that. That is, was a lot more about what Kansas State was doing than what Oklahoma was not um, yeah. last season. So, but the Iowa State game, that can't happen. Uh, you know, Baylor game, even in the first half, despite Jalen giving them excellent – Baylor getting excellent field position, that can't happen. Um, so, um, that's going to be the shift, I think, of mindset. That's at least a shift of mindset with me. I have all the trust for Oklahoma and Alex Grinch that the defense is going to continue to move in a positive direction. But we will definitely see, um, you know, this upcoming season I think is going to determine a lot about the direction of this defense and not just because of the momentum that they're trying to build. But they got to put another good season of tape together um, for recruiting. I mean, it's, yeah. clear as, it's clear as day that they continue to struggle – with fighting against the idea that Oklahoma does not play defense. Yep. Well, the fortunate Which we thing, can go. I was just going to say the fortunate thing for them is if they only get the Missouri state game in for this season and that's it. Hey, that'll be great. Cause then Alex Grinch can go, Hey, year two resounding success. We held our one opponent to three points. What's it to you? Come to OU and play some defense. <laughs> oh man. No, I, they, They've got to uh, – the big dog's got to eat at some point, and you got to be able to go get them. Yeah. And they, uh, they've gotten a couple. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon's a dude. Um, recent commitment, Damon Harmon's a dude. I think Clayton Smith has a ton of potential. He's going to be a little stiff. They're going to have to loosen him up once he gets to campus. But um, they've got some guys, you know, that have a lot of potential. Um, we'll see if that all comes together. But uh, – you know, I, the, what's happening kind of on the recruiting trail is going to be, uh, I think, the most important factor to the future of Oklahoma football on defense. And I know it always is, but there's, it's more important now than anything yeah. uh, because this championship window will close at some point, whether that's because Lincoln Riley goes to the NFL, whether that's Alex Grinch taking a head coaching job elsewhere. Um, this is a short – uh, championship windows don't open very often and Oklahoma's in one 
Um, they're paying their coaches basically like they're in one now. Um, and we will see uh, Bill Biedenboe, I do want to mention, now makes over $800,000 a year. Uh, that's still not enough in my opinion, but. No kidding. But it, 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 that kind of is what it is at this point. Everybody else besides Roy, uh, besides DeMarco Murray and Jamar Kane got raises and extensions through two years. So um, it's going to make uh, life pretty difficult for other schools to kind of come in and poach them away um, unless it's a head coaching position. So yeah. um, we'll, see, uh, we'll see what kind of comes from this. But I think it's always a good thing whenever your coaches are getting compensated based off the work that they have provided. And they obviously, after one year, this entire staff – um, this new staff that's together, uh, even though some of the offensive guys have been the same, uh, I think it, I think they deserved it. Um, and, and although, with that being said, that also means the expectations rise even more. And with those expectations, um, have to come results. And I think you know it's past time um, to make any excuse in any regard um, for this team and this program not to win a playoff game. If they can just make the big game, I think this year, next year, they can make it, give themselves a chance with Spencer Rattler at quarterback. Um, that will take a lot of ease off the minds of Oklahoma fans if they can get that job done at some – really, really get that job done at some point, and uh, we'll see. What, the Seahawks are going to bring in Antonio Brown? Yikes. Yikes, 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 yikes. Well – not, 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 not for sure. I just want to say that, but it is a headline that I see on my TV right now. News. Well, Keegan, you actually brought up the last bit of news that I wanted to get into for the podcast today. Um, so just answer me this question, if you don't mind. Why did Demond Harmon um, commit to OU, and why is it because that he simply buys into the hype? <laughs> too early in the morning for shots like that <laughs> uh no i i think a lot of this is about you know the relationship that oklahoma was able to build more than the defense that they have um and what they put on tape i, I think that this is a guy that just fell in love with what, what oklahoma was selling um, because it is an east coast guy it's not just an east coast guy it's an east coast guy with offers from ohio state penn state and georgia whether the, those were committable offers at this time. Um, I, I believe the Georgia one is, the, as well as the Penn State one was. So I think this was a big win for Oklahoma. You know, this is a three-star guy, right? This isn't a guy that's not supposed to get a lot of hype, a lot of hope, um, you know, just immediate of landing that commitment. But, Brady, this – he – him and Tommy Hill, um, the DB out of Florida that Oklahoma was in on, that – uh, the, that Oklahoma didn't eventually, didn't eventually land or moved on from, well, were some of the – probably the two of the under, more underrated guys that Oklahoma has offered that I had absolute man crushes on. Damon yeah. Harmon's long. He's physical. He's got the body type that Oklahoma is looking for in a defensive back. And I think, you know, you talk about a guy that gets his nose dirty in the run game, that has the cover skills, that makes plays on the football um, – that bodes extremely well for Oklahoma, but I do want to throw this out there. He hasn't visited Oklahoma. He hasn't taken any of his oh, official no. visits. This is a guy from the East Coast um, with a Penn State offer, with an Ohio State offer. Those, guys, those schools are interested. Um, 
you know, I, I think this is going to be one that Oklahoma is going to be in a fight with up until signing day. And don't be surprised if there is a light flip with a guy like this. Yeah. So with all the positives that you could say about the kind of guy that Oklahoma got, there is a caveat to it that it, it may not last. And that's not just with Oklahoma, but that's with almost every college football program that's landing commitments right now in the 2021 recruiting class. The, a lot of these guys are committing without visiting these schools. And once official visits become available at some point, um, that's going to be, that's going to be a hard thing to, to deal with, but I think it's going to be work. It's going to work both ways. And I know I'm kind of going away from the Demon Harmon conversation here, but you know, say LSU, LSU lands a guy that's a non-regional guy that hasn't visited. Every other school that's been in the fight is still in the fight. These kids are going to want to visit. I mean, so would you, so would I, everybody's, even if you're committed somewhere, you're wanting to want to go visit that school, visit schools and see what else is out there um, because you haven't had the chance to. So um, it's going to be a fight that a lot of schools are going to be dealing with. It could work both ways for Oklahoma. They could lose guys. They could gain guys that they once thought they didn't have a chance with. So uh, we'll see kind of what comes from this, but on paper right now, before signing day, this is a, I think, a monster commitment. I think this is a guy that that starts in you know year two, year three, maybe even year, get some meaningful snaps year one, and uh, he becomes kind of an all Big Twelve kind of player. He he is that good. Uh, he's got that kind of potential, and I think he complements you know the guys that Oklahoma already has gotten in Joshua Eaton and Bryson Washington. And, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, Latrell McCutcheon. I think he complements that secondary extremely, extremely well. And this is a guy that you can plug and play at either safety position. I don't foresee him being a corner at Oklahoma. His ball skills are um, not – his natural ball skills aren't, don't fit as much at corner as they do at safety. So – um, and that's a position that Oklahoma obviously needs dire help at. So um, yeah. we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. I, I do want to say again, um, don't think that this is a done deal quite yet. But when, whenever it comes down to it, a uh, big get for Oklahoma and a big win on the recruiting trail for Alex Grinch and that defense to uh, kind of hang their hats on to get a skin on the wall. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's better than nothing, I guess. But, um, I mean, like you said, this is all still kind of a fluid situation, so I guess we'll see. But, uh, Keegan, before we get out of here, um, you are about to embark on a little fun thing that you're going to be putting out at some point in the near future um, for us to all look forward to on Soonerswire.com. So the floor is yours. Tease it. Yeah. So uh, about – it's this story has been in the works now for a month. Um, and, uh, no, it's really, really cool. I, I – I was able to get, you know, a tip for it, tip by it, was looking for on social media for confirmation of it. Luckily, um, someone slipped up and posted on social media. So kind of in the aspect of journalism, you can use that to kind of maybe get a story that you want to write about. There you go. So with that being said, uh, Lincoln Riley, he uh, had a couple of his players that were going to be on a panel on Juneteenth at the Boys and Girls Club in Oklahoma County. And he basically just said, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going to go do this. Okay, well, I'm going to come with you. And he wasn't invited, um, wasn't announced that he was going to be there. Uh, and just another example 
of how Lincoln Riley gets it. He's there for his players. Um, he stands by them in every aspect that he can. And the fact that he was willing to take a Friday afternoon away, why weren't you recruiting Lincoln? There you go. Uh, I was going to say it myself. <laughs> uh, taking away, you know, um, a Friday afternoon of his time on Juneteenth, which is a very important day now um, for the African-American culture and African-Americans in the United States um, to go stand by his players and, and to really just kind of do it on his own. And I, I think that's something that Lincoln has proven throughout this pandemic and um, the racial issues that we have in our country, that this is his beliefs. This is what he believes in. And uh, we'll see kind of um, if, if that, I don't expect it not to, but we'll see if that continues, uh, you know, if anything else pops up and I would assume it does, but it's a, it's a really cool story. It's a really cool deal. And uh, I'm thankful I'm able to write on it and it will be on Soonerswire.com Friday morning. Well, awesome, Keegan. We're look, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure everybody will be looking forward to that. But for now, you're off the hook. So good luck on your uh, interview and good luck writing the story. And thanks for jumping on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's what eight, we started this at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, anytime, anywhere to our listeners, we will get it done. We were waiting. Um, you know, last night, there's a bunch of news, obviously, that came out late. So apologize for me um, needing to get some writing done and get some stories up on the website. But uh, for tonight, for last night and this morning, but we will always try to make sure, um, at least I will, that we have the most up-to-date information for you because I believe a podcast about two weeks ago, we did a podcast Sunday night and then a bunch of breaking news happened like Monday morning. Yeah. So, so. Um, make, sure, uh, you know, make sure we do that. Still don't have what the Big 12 schedule is going to look like. It should come out, um, it sounds like, either today or tomorrow. Um, it doesn't, I can tell you, it doesn't sound like Oklahoma is going to be practicing today, tomorrow. Um, so what that means, I think, obviously, that August 29th start date's not going to happen. It got pushed back, which means they have to stop practice. Uh, but uh, we'll see kind of in the coming days, and I'm sure we'll be back Sunday night, uh, Brady, to uh, kind of get the ins and outs of this deal. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it, I hope. But, uh, yeah, like – once the season actually starts, we'll probably pivot on when we rele- when we record and release podcasts because games will be on Saturdays. So, um, but as soon as we get all that hammered out, as soon as the Big 12 gets everything hammered out, we will let you all know. But thanks once again to Keegan Renault of Soonerswire.com. And everybody, thank you so much for listening to Inside OU. Uh, like, rate, and subscribe or whatever on your podcast app, and we will appreciate it. But until next time, talk to you all later.